the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome to the Believer's Journey. I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank you for your support, for your prayers, for your everything you do for us. And um, we're going to have a, a really pretty cool program today. We're going to talk about serving others on the last part of our program. And uh, I think that's such an important topic. In fact, it's funny because uh, as you've told me, we're talking about serving others. I'm teaching right now on parables of Jesus. And the one I'm talking about is about serving others. And so it's kind of just fit right in. So anyway, today I have uh, with me the CEO and Director of Programs for uh, San Antonio Hope Center. And so we have Megan Legacy. Hello, good morning. Morning, and we have Janice Cantu. Hello. So we're going to be talking about, as we call it, SA Hope, SA Hope Center. And um, it's really interesting because I've uh, been acquainted with them kind of on a third party, fourth party, even in our church, they come around and they they uh, have a little table off and on. And so, um, go ahead and, and you've said hello, go ahead and talk about your ministry and we'll I'll jump in once in a while. Okay, great. Um, well, our organization started before we were officially an organization in the 1980s as the Benevolence Ministry of Oak Hills Church when Oak Hills was located on Fredericksburg and Wurzbach Road, right there in the medical center. And people were coming to the church and knocking on the door and expressing their needs. And the church sought to meet those needs. And so they started collecting food and clothing, and they had a little ministry called the Stone House in the back of the church. Um, in 1999, Oak Hills Church moved to the Crown Ridge location, just right there off 1604 and I-10. And you know, realize that a lot of people that were coming for help were coming from the west side of San Antonio, where some of our city's greatest needs are. So a group of volunteers decided they wanted to meet those needs in more proximity to where families were and uh, decided it might, you know, be better for the organization or this ministry if it was a 501c3. So they applied for their 501c3 status in 99, received it in 2001. Um, we've been in the West Side since 1999 and on our current campus since 2005. Um, and for many years, the ministry served um, about 4,000 families per month in, with food, clothing, and Bible programs. And um, around 2011, um, the board of directors decided to take a shift in mission. And they said, you know, there's a lot of people coming in here who um, – are really struggling, but we're seeing them every single month. We can continue to feed and to continue to provide bags of food. But what we really would like to do is get to know them on a relational level, find out what their stories are, and really figure out why are they hungry in the first place? Why are they why are they struggling um, to put food on the table? What there's a lack of, you know, housing stability, or or there's no jobs, or there's a you know family dynamic that needs healing. But what we're able to do is provide food. So the board decided to take a shift and meet those needs on a more relational and a, on a, on a deeper level. Um, and so we shifted the mission in uh, around 2014 fully to be based on a relational case management model, which I'll pitch to Janice to talk more in depth about, but really with the vision in mind that any family that came in or individual that came in, we would help meet their you know, their, their immediate needs which could be immediate food. I mean, you're hungry. The last thing you want to talk about is getting a job or finding housing. You're hungry. So we meet their immediate needs. Then we sit down with them and talk about, you know, what are your long-term goals? Do you want to find more stable housing? Do you want to get a better job? Go back to college, you know, learn to manage your finances, whatever it might be. And then finally, um, you know, really our goal is that people would be 
you know, stable on a long-term basis. But then, and, and of course we do, um, we're a faith-based organization. And so we offer uh, pastoral counseling and have Bible classes as well. It's not a mandate to, to receive services at our organization. We want to meet people where they are, but we do offer that spiritual spiritual aspect, which we believe is the core of everything um, at the SA Hope Center. So before you go on, so in, I, in 2014 is when this all kicked off, correct? Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. So from what I understand, you try to meet areas of pe- where people are from where they're hungry, where they need a place to live, where they need education, whether it be in finances or do you offer like GED services and things like that? Uh, so we actually partner with another agency in San Antonio called Restore Education. And so they, um, our partnership works in a unique way where they provide the educational piece all free for GED, any, also any adult, adult certification programs such as phlebotomy. They're bringing on a pharmacy technician in the next couple of weeks, um, CNA, uh, f- like a business finance one. And so they provide that piece. And our, as we team up with them, we're providing the safety net for students to continue their educational plan. So I have a case manager out at their location, um, and then they bring on the GED services at our one of our locations as well. And so that's kind of how we partner and network within the, the community. So when I was looking at your website, it, it looked like it's, it's one of the more well-rounded uh, ministries that I've looked at, and I've looked at a lot of them, had a lot of them <laughs> on our program. And so uh, we have we have a few of them that are well rounded, and yours looks like it's one of those. They just don't, they don't just give food and furniture or say here's a here's a towel or like to sleep tonight. You really do go the further, the next step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, tell me, um, I noticed that on your on your website you have what they call these values, and they are empowering relationships. Uh, compassionate service and diversity. Talk about that. Yeah. I'll talk a little bit about it. So for like our, our programs team, um, our services that we've built over the years have really been built around empowering our families and the individuals that come through our doors. Um, just like Ma- Megan has mentioned, you know, it's, it's easy to be able to just give out something, um, an item to someone, but we really want to empower them where they're at and meet them and where the relationship piece comes in. It's meeting them where they're at, um, you know, asking in-depth questions and, and helping them know that, that we're not just there for one time. We're there for uh, maybe a couple of week, more weeks that they need more assistance or months that they need more assistance and uh, really bringing in that relational piece to them. And that comes with the com- with compassion. Um, I believe all of our team members on our our staff are very compassionate about what they do, uh, meeting with them, teaching them in mean, the classes that we also teach um, internally, like our financial literacy program, our career readiness program. Facilitator is very passionate about that and very, brings the compassion and nurturing part of it into the curriculum. Um, and so obviously that comes with service and along with our, you know, other uh, making sure we're diverse in our programs and um meeting everyone, everyone's need. It's not just particular just to the west side, but to all sides of San Antonio. And, and I think also when you think about compa- like serving others, you can serve others without compassion. Mm-hmm. But that compassion piece, to me, um, there's nothing wrong with organizations that do provide those meals. Those are, those are critically important. Mm-hmm. But families, but to care truly about someone, like if I, I have two children, and I don't want to meet their needs just for today. I want to instill in them and equip them for the future so that when they handle life stuff, I can't jump in and save them, you know. And I think being compassionate is caring about someone's future, not just about their today, but caring about their future, whether it be a month from now or five years from now or or their eternal future. And so um, I, I think Jesus cared about that. You know, I, I don't think he just cared about feeding or just the one-time service. He cared about their soul. And I think that's what really is at the heart of our uh, our values. Um, and, and Janice talked about asking questions. It's not what I think you should do. Like, what are your goals? What do you want to do? And so we employ something called a strengths-based approach. And so we build off people's strengths. We, I'm uniquely gifted by God, so is Janice, and so are the families that we serve. We're not at a different level. You know, we're not better than them, or we don't receive more spiritual gifts than them. 
it's like, how do we discover what their gifts are and what, and how, how do they discover what their gifts are? And we can be a catalyst for that, what their purpose is. Because everyone has purpose. Everyone has talents and gifts. And so if we're empowering, we're really helping them in that, in that journey of self-discovery. Yeah, I think that when you, when you come across people who are down on their luck or down on something and they're looking for a place to live or looking for food, that's almost like the, vis- the vision they have can't go much further. Right. Mm-hmm. And they do need people to help mm-hmm. them uh, walk with them until they can actually see that. I, uh, one thing that impressed me that I, I've read about your organization is that you, you talk a lot about relationships and putting together relationships and building relationships. And I think, personally, it's kind of hard to really help somebody teach them how to fish, in other words, mm-hmm. if you don't build that relationship. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like there's an was that old adage, people don't care. What do they say? They don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And I, our families have been hurt so much. They've been hurt by the system. They've been hurt by their family members. They've been hurt by maybe somebody, somebody in their childhood created some trauma. And so walking in again, there has to be that sense of trust. And I think people, I tell people like what they say, what is your special sauce? I'm like, I think it is our relationships, but I think it's because we build trust with them mm-hmm. so they can let their guards down. Well, yeah, it's kind of hard to build a relationship if you don't build trust with them. Yep. Right. It really is hard. Mm-hmm. Something on your website I really like, and I'm going to read it. Um, it says here that you welcome all who are in need and you go above and beyond to help people succeed in life. You, uh, as they hope, judges no one. Anyone's, anyone seeking help has found it with them. And no matter what the circumstances, they do their best to guide everyone to a brighter future. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, it says a lot. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you say to people who either need your services or want to volunteer and help? Or is they're looking for a, a company that they want to volunteer with? I think one of the unique things that we've been able to do over the years with our volunteers is um, we do, you have the the ones that want to just be able to come in and serve like in our food pantry and um, our bigger projects that we've had over the years. And that's great. That's always helpful and needed. Um, But we've also had volunteers that come in and because we have built a relationship with them and get to know about the skills um, and knowledge that they bring in, uh, we've been able to utilize them. So, for example, we've had volunteers come in who had financial backgrounds and they'll sit with somebody and do a budget or they'll come and present. Um, I know we are, we're currently uh, partnering with a volunteer uh, who's a lawyer who recently became a lawyer. And so he's coming in and providing um just knowledge that our families need for like rentals, you know, rental, uh, not rental assistance, but like maybe with their tenants. And so bringing in that knowledge. Um, so utilizing their skills and knowledge has been something that is really unique to what we try to do with our volunteers is that, yeah, it's great. Come in, help in, in a big project that we have or serve food uh, in our food pantry, but also bring what you can to the table um, because our families are, are very much, they welcome that and they like that. And again, it brings that relational piece to, to the table. And it's a unique opportunity to actually get to, t- to meet someone you would otherwise never meet in a community that you may have never connected with. And I think people find that they're more blessed. I mean, you hear that, but people walk away like, wow, you know, I thought I was bringing something to the table and I left with so much more Mm -hmm. because we desire for that to be a transformational experience rather than just a transactional one. So I think it's pretty special. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I work with a lot of missionaries and one area I go to hopefully every year, I don't make it every year, but I try is is in Moldova. And there's a Mm -hmm. a couple there that I truly love. Um, And I've seen them, you know, where they're in the city, they're with a missionary group, okay, a whole organization. But like recently, there was a, a need in, in a village, and, it, and it's different. In the villages, if you ever watch something like Fiddler on the Roof, you see those broken down kind of houses, and you know, it's like that. Maybe some of them are better, but um, they needed a help because there was a, a group that were meeting in this home from this village, decided to get it together, but they had no one to lead them. So he took time outside of his own, you know, structure to go mentor and minister with these people. I've seen this couple 
you know, give clothing, grow, buy groceries for people. They just they just do everything that it, it takes to be someone that builds trust and shares love and shares Christ. You know, and it's just really interesting. I've seen some of these same people who they've helped uh, when I've gone there, and I'll go to somebody else's home church, and there's somebody there that they were helped, you know, a couple of years before. And and it's pretty incredible when you can just give because you're giving, because you're concerned about somebody, and then later find out that they've, why are you doing this? Um, when the Ukrainians were leaving uh, Ukraine by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands, and Moldova received a lot of them. This family took in some in their home. Uh, there, in fact, this one's one of the leaders that helped organize a whole group of them to work to stay and help and feed and clothe and so forth. Well, they had all these people in their home, you know, just uh, because that's just what they do. And it's not about, we'll go down the street to this organization. It's just, let me help you take care of you now, and then we'll see if there's an organization that you can go to, but let me take care of your needs now. And... I don't know. Talk about that. Well, I think um, it's interesting when you, I'm, I'm thinking about the concepts of like approaching alleviating poverty or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, we, we're trying to say the words like economic mobility. Uh, but I think people have such opinions looking from the outside in. It's like, well, there's programs that just feed people mm-hmm. and they're meeting their need. Right. There, there is a tangible need. I can, I, We'll probably be hungry after this. Like, I haven't had lunch yet. You know, like, we all, even people who have, don't lack food security get hungry. So we all understand that. Um, and I think there's others that are, have this idea, like, well, people just should work harder and they wouldn't have the problem, right? And um, I think neither of those things are right or wrong. It's like, we are human beings that have the need for love. We have a need for belonging. We have a need for food. We have a need for shelter. We have a need for comfort when we're hurting and that you talked earlier about us being very well-rounded it's because human beings are very we're very complex and if you if you have one thing going on in your life maybe it's a relational issue that's really wreaking havoc it affects all the other parts of you and so what you told me just now is these people are creating a sense of belonging and safety their 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 voices are known their, you know, their names are known. And that right there to me is the magic. Um, so when you meet, like and we have some programs in our organization where not only we meet the need, but we have some at times, um, not we have some programs where we can help with utility assistance or rental assistance. And it might be the, the very thing missing from someone's life is like, I've got the job lined up. I've got kids. I've got this, this, this. I just, what comes first, the first paycheck or the, or the first month's rent. Yeah. And, Sometimes you just have to meet someone's tangible need, but that tangible need actually ends up being part of their transformational story. And so I think that's really our approach, but it's also not coming at people with like, well, you should have done this differently or this. Well, we all make mistakes when you live in a, in a wealthy societal family structure, you have someone to call when you mess up, you don't end up homeless, but if you're, and your low-income family and your family, you don't have support network, you don't have friends, something happens, you end up on the streets because we all make poor decisions or life happens to us, right? One of the other, both of the things. And um, and we're all complex and we all need multiple needs met. So I think, anyway, kind of what you were saying to me is that they were building trust. They met a tangible need, but then they, but they provided hope, right? And I think you have to have all the layers of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all does start with trust and relationship. And we realize that. Yeah. But it can, you can't exclude some people say, oh, well, they're just doing a feeding ministry. Well, they're meeting a need. They may not have the resources to provide all the other things, but they're still meeting a really important need. But there's other needs. Well, and the fact that hope is a, is a huge function. I mean, hope isn't, isn't just for the person who's hungry, so you give them some food, or a person needs clothing, you give them clothes. Hope is within every aspect of our lives, whether it be a spiritual, emotional, or a physical need. Uh, we need hope in all those areas. And that's what I like about looking at your program. You seem to build hope in all of these different areas. Um, I like that. I, I think that's really cool. And I think it's really important, uh, not just for today, but it's been like this for millennia. Mm-hmm. You know, 
It's, I think it's just transforming families, right, for the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially because yeah. we do see a lot of, um, or our vision is to end generational poverty. And so we do see a lot of families that have come in over the years and their extended family members, whether it be their parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles, have come in. Um, and so, you know, we, we do see, a, a, because we see that a lot, you know, it's a it's our, our goal and our vision to hope to not see that one day. And, and we understand that there, there, there's a possibility of seeing, continuing to see that, but it's meeting them where they're at and still bringing that relational peace and changing that. So something I read on your website, because you just made me think about this when you talked about generational poverty, something on your website said you were, you were trying to, you know, end systemic poverty. Mm-hmm. What is systemic po- poverty? Well, systemic, um, it's like the root, I would think of like root causes. Like what are the roots underneath? You're seeing poverty above the surface, like you're seeing food insecurity, you're seeing whatever it might be. It means a lot of things. So one, on one case, on one uh, one of the roots might be generational traumas. So maybe there's alcohol and drug abuse that's happened over generations that hasn't been stopped, or it might be um, maybe abusive type of thing. So those things tend to perpetuate over time. Other systemic things are, um, and it's, it's sometimes hard to face and to understand, but there is racist, there is systemic racism that has existed in our community for a long time. And especially in certain parts of our city where if you grew up in the west side or the east side and you were a homeowner, your house didn't appreciate like other parts of town. It actually depreciated. There weren't the same access to education. There's no sidewalks, lighting, the same kinds of the kinds of things certain people had when they were born in certain zip codes didn't happen in other zip codes. And so we we recognize all of those things exist, which makes it very complex. So how do we to address that, we can't go, we can't just deal with the flowers on the top or the lack thereof. We have to go to the deep roots of that. And so how do we help someone um, become a homeowner where it actually appreciates that? Some of that is not necessarily work we take on, but help maybe inform like policy type of work and sharing those stories of families, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Others is, is addressing generational traumas. In our parenting class, our facilitator, Ruby Sanchez, she talks about she actually takes caregivers, some of them grandparents, some of them parents. Um, and she says, what happened to you? What happened when you were a kid? Wh- how were you spoken to? You don't have to say it out loud, but write it on a piece of paper. Now, what, what kind of language was used in your home that hurt? And what are you repeating? And why did it hurt? How did it make you feel? And helping them recognize that wasn't okay. So how do we heal the caregiver? Because a healed caregiver is going to be a positive caregiver as opposed to someone who's just learning like, Say this to your kid. Do this, this, this. Well, if they don't heal the, their own wounds, they're not really going to be able to transform their generations. And so it, it really it, it operates at a, a system level in terms of what exists for resources that some people got and some people didn't get, how they were treated and how they weren't. But it also exists just in that generational family history. Um, I don't know if you would say anything else to that, but it, that, that's, that's really solving this for families goes to the deepest roots of those things and it doesn't just exist at the very top level you know you see the iceberg picture yeah. only we see this small piece but what exists underneath is much deeper and that's important to us to to be able to see that and that's through the relationship piece because someone coming in for just food assistance it doesn't know that we're going to be we're going to sit with them and ha- build a relationship or we desire to build a relationship with them so it takes some time and so it's very important to understand what's what's rooted deep into the issue that they're coming in for, the the barrier that they're 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 facing, and so it's, it's important for us that when we do that through the, the assessments that we do and the relationships and the um, services that we provide, and it's it's something that's just a, a core of what we what we value to be able to do. Something on your website, I want to read this. Um, it says your programs are relationally focused and provide various programs, including financial literacy. Okay, uh, what is financial literacy? Sure. So we have partnered with uh, Stitch Ministries. Um, they offer, uh, through a larger organization, uh, what is called Faith in Finance. Uh, it's a 12-week program that focuses on uh, your relationship with money. So it does focus on man- money management and how to build a uh, budget or a money plan. Um, but it's also fo- working on what's your relationship look like with money? Where are you putting your money towards? Um, and so it's a 12-week program that we're able to offer uh, to the community, uh, both in English and Spanish, and our facilitator, Ruby, is able to do that throughout okay. the year. 
Uh, next one is job training. I think we all understand job training. Mm -hmm. uh, senior services. Okay, explain to me what you do with senior services. I know a lot of seniors who sit at home and say, I can't go anywhere because there's nowhere to get anywhere and I don't know what to do. Yeah, sure. So we um, actually have a case manager who has been uh, faithful to our community for over 13 years um, and working with our senior population, and she does just a fantastic job with them. Uh, but anyone 60 and over who are, are needing services, and it, it, from food to knowing how to access other resources that the city has uh, for maybe senior billing in CPS or uh, the water, their water bill, or even just home repairs, um, that's a, a huge one that we do see. Um, and so we're just getting, getting them connected to long-term services for them, but then also meeting, uh, meeting them in other areas such as maybe they don't have a, a will or they don't have a plan for end-of-life planning. And so um, our case manager focuses on that. Um, we've been able to even expand in that area where she's now been able to go to the homes because we do recognize that there are some elderly that are not able to um, to meet to come and meet us in person and so uh, meeting them where they're at and, and giving them uh, the services that we're able to give them in their house or a lot of times they have a spouse pass away mm -hmm. and they're like i have no idea how to what bank we went to i don't know where to start and they're low income and they have to figure it out and so we help them navigate some of those really hard things i remember one guy had a, a transformer fall through his roof and he didn't know who do i call what do i do and so just advocacy work for our seniors yeah. or they're taking out second and third mortgages on their home because their adult children are coming by. And so we're just helping them navigate some of those financials as well. And they love they love the interaction of, of just coming to meet with her, but then even classes. So we've been able to do over the years uh, just educational classes to them, uh, whether it be health or bringing on a, uh, like the San Antonio Food Bank who will come and do like a meal prep class. to Technology class technology, on smartphones. Yeah, technology <laughs> class. How to use your smartphone. Definitely has been one that's been uh, pop you know, popular within that group. Um, but then, you know, health and nutrition to them, even financial literacy, they love to be able to come and be part of, of a, a group and learn from each other. What about the, those who don't have a ride or able to get to a doctor or to, let's say, a senior center to have, at least spend their day somewhere? Do you have... Where do you reach out for that? Yeah, so we do reach out to, our, to other uh, partnering agencies that are able to provide that, whether it be um, to getting to a senior service or getting to, like, medical doctor's appointments and things like that, um, making sure that they understand through their insurance provider they might have a service that can provide that to them. So okay. just, again, education and knowledge to them providing that. All right. And then it says uh, nutrition assistance. I'm for, I think we all are familiar with that. Health and wellness screenings and classes. I think that's <laughs> parental per parenting classes. <laughs> okay. Those who beat their kids need to be told they're not supposed to beat their kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally kidding here. Yeah. <laughs> About half of our parenting education folks come from Child Protective Services. Mm -hmm. And typically, I mean, there are some major abuse situations there. Most of the cases are sort of, they, I guess they would fall into the neglect category. And usually it's like there's not enough food on the table. There wasn't a, adequate car seats in the car. I mean, there's things that sort of are the symptoms, again, of poverty. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I need the class as well. And I think <laughs> I'm a, somewhat high functioning, but but I think just it just talks a lot about, we use the, the Raising Hell of Capable Kids and a few other curriculums, really talking about the 40 developmental assets of a strong child. And so we teach parents, might be grandparents, a lot of grandparents raising grandkids, how what the importance is of connecting with a teacher, connecting in a church community, check, connecting with your neighbors, asking your kids questions. There's challenges now that parents face that didn't have to face 20, 30 years ago. And grandparents not only have the learning curve of, okay, I'm raising my grandkids, they're in school. The only way to check grades and to communicate with teachers is through an email address. Um, you have to have if, if grandparents are getting grandkids um, because of a child protective services thing and they want to take custody of their grandkids, there's a huge checklist of things they have to meet to be able to do so. And so we really can help equip them with those things and also partner with our, our partnering agencies in the community to do that. But but there are um, – but then the other half of our parents are like, I really just need this – I need these classes. The beautiful part of it is, as you're seeing, these services are very holistic. 
someone might come into our program because they have to do it for CPS, but then they learn about our workforce program and they learn about our financial literacy and our health classes and they get, I mean, we're not in a, we're not in a court building and so it's very approachable. We're right inside of the West Side community, right there in the neighborhood. So I think it's a very approachable, um, it feels like their neighborhood. And so I think, um, the, but those parenting classes are very much teaching parents or caregivers, grandparents, whoever it might be, what kids need to be healthy adults later in life. And so they're, yeah. they're pretty great. And the parents get really close in those classes. We offer, I didn't, we didn't mention this, but we offer all of our programs in English and in Spanish. Many of them are online and in person because we realize everybody learns differently, has different access to coming in person. Maybe if you have young kids taking the online class at night works better. Um, and so we really want to make sure that we're offering our, all of our programming in an accessible way. But we didn't talk about our downtown location either. And I don't yeah. know that that's really emphasized on our website. Yeah. So we did um, in 2018 where we were able to expand um, mm-hmm. grateful for our partnerships in for, at First Prez to open the doors and allow us some space in their basement um, to be able to provide our case management services there. And also over the years that we've been there, been, been able to open up our parenting classes now down there and our career readiness um, and financial literacy classes to the community down there. Idea down there when we started is to help the unsheltered population that's down there um, in that area. Um, but over the years, we've been also just been because of our location and transportation being a barrier for many of our, our participants is opening the door for those that are on the east side so they're not having to travel to the west side and um, or just a closer in proximity in that area. And so able to are you still that. connected or part of um, Oak Hills Church? We, I mean, we are not legally part of their entity for the last 22 years, but, um, but yeah, they're, they're a big supporter and donor of ours and champion and, um, their West side, which is their only really inner city church, church plant. Mm-hmm. The West side fellowship is located on our campus. And so we, we actually, right now we're in construction. We're in a giant capital campaign. We're building mental health. So in a year from now, when you look on our website, you'll see that we have provide mental health services for children and families, drop in childcare. We're expanding and scaling all of our programs right now. And right but in the process of construction, we're using their church for our food pantry services, but we hope we partner with them frequently on different initiatives, but they're a great partner to us and supporter. Good. Absolutely. Okay. And the uh, next thing here is spiritual programs. And, and is that basically Bible studies? So we do host a Bible study every Saturday. Our pastor, um, Bob Escamilla, is able to uh, provide that to the community in biling- uh, bilingual services to them. Um, but then he's, he's throughout the week, he is be- being able to minister to our staff or to people that are on site. And uh, it's been pretty neat to see him even just in this last couple months uh, being able to expand into our other partnering agencies. So he spent some time at our partner agency at Restore and then at First Prez to be able to just be there for, for our participants as well. Okay. And, he's, any, any and he's on staff with us. Yeah. So it's pretty neat to have a pastor on, our, on your yeah. nonprofit team. Yeah. That is cool. Are there any other programs I didn't, I missed? I don't think so, but could we share a few stories sure. of transformation? Yeah. I mean, I, Janice, would you start? Would you start with the most recent one where we actually had a, a young woman at a, at Our Lady of the Lake who was getting her master's? Tell, but tell that whole story because yeah, that was so, so special. She came- uh, 2018 or yeah, something? 1718, um, seeking services and got connected to Ruby, who at the time was a yeah. case manager. And she was a single mom, right? Mm-hmm. She was, could, yeah. needed help with food mm-hmm. and housing. And, and just really was just kind of, um, just kind of burnt out from all this, the things that she would barriers that she was facing and just situ- life situations. And so, um, we were able to help her at that time, got her going on her way. And then just a couple weeks ago, we learned that she graduated, uh, and even followed the footsteps of becoming a social worker and with so, her master's degree. Yeah. So it was really <laughs> neat to see. And, and during her speech, um, at the, I believe she, she gave some speech at the, the university during the graduation. And so she was able to contribute her, um, you know, her accomplishments back to when, when she met with Ruby and just the relationship she built and the inspiration that she received and the hope that she received with Ruby um, or through Ruby, that it was just really neat to see that transformation. And just to hear, you know, where she's at now and in life and graduated, mm-hmm. becoming a social worker. So 
It's neat to see Pretty the inspiration. Cool. You never know the seeds that you plant, right? You think yeah. you feed someone and you care that, for them and pray with them and provide some services and they leave and you've no idea the seeds you planted. But to see someone inspired by that short time being mentored by Ruby, yeah. get her master's degree and now paying it forward in the community to do the same thing is so neat. Yeah. My other, I, I tell this story a lot, so, but uh, Duke knows this story, but one of my favorites is this young lady named Jessica. But I think this story shows the, if you haven't heard the themes of partnership and collaboration, mm-hmm. we love our nonprofit partners. We can't do, we can't do all the things. And so we partner with a lot of organizations around the city. We do what we do best and they do what they do best and we all work together. Um, but Jessica, Jessica, uh, Jessica was going to move here because her dad lived in San Antonio. She was struggling where she was living in Minnesota with her teenage son. And she moved to San Antonio, and not even a week later, her dad died in a motorcycle accident. And so her one chance of safety net and place to live went away. And he was low income, too, and he had no safety. He had no no money. So she ended up on the streets homeless and her son went to go live with an, a friend that he had recently met. And she was, if you had driven downtown any time in the past year after COVID, she lived in one of the tent cities, I guess you want to call the different names for them, but she lived in a tent under the bridge down by kind of down by the Alamo dome. And, you know, every person down there has a story, right? Nobody was five years old in elementary school and said, I want to be homeless when I grow up. Everybody, you know, that's just so, it's, when you see people, you realize like they were a kid with dreams yeah. and something happened where they were severely traumatized um, and they didn't have a support network. And over the years, they ended up on the streets. And so Jessica's under the bridge for, I don't know, six months or something. And she's like, I can't do this anymore. I want my son back. I, I lost my dog. I, we don't have a home. So she called United Way 211, which is United Way is a funder of ours and one of our largest referral partners. Um, she called United Way and told them, I'm homeless, but I want to get a job. I want to go to school. I want to get my son back. I want housing. And they said, go to the SA Hope Center. So she went to our downtown location at First Presbyterian, and she met with a, a case manager and expressed all of those dreams that she had. And um, we connected her with Restore Education, as Janice has referenced a few times. And we worked on helping get her some assistance with housing. Um, it was It's amazing how God just goes before us always and went before Jessica. Because probably around December of, I think it was 2020. 2019. I don't remember the year exactly now. It's a blur. But um, I got a call from someone at Community Bible Church, and they said, hey, we want to do a big Mother's Day thing. We want to bless some of your moms. And so we said, okay, great. They said, what needs do you have? I'm like, I don't know. It's in December. That's in May. We don't know what needs we'll have in May. But just it's just God puts seeds in our hearts. Um, and they helped many moms. But one of these moms was Jessica. And we said, we have a mom getting her apartment. She's getting a job. She's she's finished her with her CNA license. She in full body me. And she's wanting to go back, get her a degree. She has a teenage boy and a dog. And so Community Bible Church, she gets the keys to her apartment. And there's a knock at the door. She answers the door. She's already crying. And uh, one of the pastors at CBC said, hey, I heard you got your apartment. And she's like, yes. And he said, we, it looks like you're going to need some furniture. And her immediate response was, it's okay. We have a roof over our head. My son's here. My dog's here. I, it's okay. He's like, no, no, I think you need some furniture. And so an Ikea truck backed up to the apartment door. And one of the life groups at CBC unloaded the, all of the furniture to fully furnish her apartment. And the life group even went out and got all the soap and dish towels and dishes and, and soap for the shower, like anything you would need if you were starting completely over from scratch. And they spent the next several hours putting all the furniture together and fully outfitted her apartment. And it was really neat to hear her story because she, she's like, she got her faith back. She got her dog back. She got her son back. And she said, we're a family again. Mm-hmm. So to go from living homeless under the bridge to not even maybe I don't know, four or five months later doing so well. I mean, I just, but that just goes to show the power of meeting someone's immediate needs, building trust, having community collaborations, but also really that power of faith being a part of your programming because I know she's just thriving and she really is the, the world is her oyster now, right? Like she, she can achieve anything and she, that people do care about her That's and really her son. Cool. That is yeah. really cool. Yeah. And we have lot, countless stories like that, but I just love these, the ones that involve to so this full circle transformation. Yeah. So if anybody is uh, moved to want to, donate or volunteer or help or even if you have needs that they are mentioning you know uh, across our screen uh, you have a contact uh, when it comes to a banner or you can go to our website it's www 
www.thebelieversjourney.net. Um, I believe that uh, your website is um, sahope.org. sahopecenter.org. Center. Sahopecenter.org. Yes. If you go to our website under guests, you'll also see the phone number. So you can uh, click on their logo and it'll take you to their website, or you can just call the phone number and uh, you'll have an automated thing that'll tell you what to push and leave a message. Okay? Well, thank you so much. Our topic is serving others, which is right along one with what you have been doing. And I want to read a couple scriptures, and I want to kind of bounce that off of you, and then we'll talk about that. <clears throat> so, serving others is, I think, one of the things that are talked about a lot, but one of the hardest things that people actually do, personally, when I look around. They, they'd rather be more important than feel like they have to serve somebody. But Jesus said a couple things to that. In Mark 9, he says, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. And that, that that's in uh, 9.35. And in Matthew 23.11, Jesus says, But the greatest among you shall be your servant. And the coolest thing is, is that Jesus came to, and he served. The King of Kings, Lord of Lords, served. I'm bouncing off. What do you, what do you mm-hmm. have to say about that? I think with the first scripture, the first thing I thought about is um, our team. Because they come each day um, and we all serve at, at some level. Whether it's meeting the clients, um, whether it's uh, cleaning, or whether what Megan does on a daily basis is go out into the community and, and advocate for our team. Um, and, you know, getting funding. It's like everyone comes to the, to the table and brings their A-game. Um, but we can't do that without uh, Christ or without having some type of faith and hope. Um, and our a- agency does such a well job at um, championing us as a, as a team, as staff, um, and providing a space uh, to do that. And so I, I, that's the first thing I thought, um, because we can't, we can't, what does it say, can uh, give without having like a, an empty cup, right? And mm-hmm. so um, filling our cup first is mm-hmm. very important. Yeah, and I'm kind of cheating because I know you're going to talk about John 13, but I was thinking about that <laughs> on the way here, and I was thinking about how, you know, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, like, if you look at that just in it, you can't look at that in a vacuum. Like, painting the picture, he, j- he had just been in the garden, right? And he's, he's in the upper room, and he already knows what's going to happen tomorrow. So, like, what's going on in Jesus's head, right? Like, he's already thinking, Father, take this from me. Like, I don't know. You know, he's, there's fear there. Um, and, and I don't know if it's fear as much as, like, he knows he's going to die a physical death and it's going to be painful. And yet he still looked around the room and found a need to meet. He didn't wait for someone to ask him to meet the need. He looked and he realized there was nobody washing their feet and they'd been wearing dirty sandals. And he, he saw the need and he went to go meet the need. And, I, and even his disciples are like, you know, like we shouldn't be the you. We should be washing your feet, and he's like, no, this must happen because I've I have to model this for you. You know, he's, he wasn't just it wasn't just a transactional service. Again, he was modeling for them how leadership serves first. Mm-hmm. Well, and going along with that very thing in that very chapter in the upper room after he washes their feet, what's really cool is they sit back down and Jesus says to them, "I have a new commandment." to give you that you love one another as I have loved you mm-hmm. and it's like and he just finished serving them mm-hmm. washing their feet like wow that says it all mm-hmm. and um, but yeah I, I think the biggest thing that, that the Bible teaches and, and this is not just New Testament in, in Psalms David he says in Psalms 86 make glad the soul of your servant for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. David considered himself a servant to God. And David was really a very strong-willed person. And uh, whether he became king, he knew he was going to become king. He was still, uh, he led and ruled over 40 guys in the army, or 400 that traveled around the, the country. Yeah. So I think it's a pretty cool thing. Serving others, you know, it, I think we're called to have a heart of service, a heart, a servant's heart. 
And I think there's an attitude there that we all miss sometimes. And I think humility is is one of these things we, we bypass. And if we're bypassing humility, we're bypassing servanthood. And joy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine doing I can tell you, I cannot imagine doing this job. And I'm sure our team feels this way. When you see the things we and hear the stories we hear every day, or you're trying to raise funding that's constantly, like all the things you have to do to 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 fulfill the mission of the organization. If you're doing it for, like from a muscling on your own way, it's too hard. You, they, you know, don't grow weary in doing good. Well, you will grow weary, very weary in doing good. But if it comes from a spring of eternal life and this promise that we know we have, that we're part of the kingdom of God, then there's not fear. And we know that God's going to provide what he, if it's in God's will, he'll provide it. And that he's protecting us. I don't know. There's just, it's just a very different you're serving from a different place mm-hmm. than if you're just like doing it from a moral humanistic way, which is a lot of people do in a lot of ministry, a lot of organizations do to do great work doing that. But I think I personally, as a leader, cannot imagine doing all of this work if it wasn't what you said. You talk about your cup being empty, like pouring from a full a cup that's been filled up by God, because otherwise it's just just going to be nothing left. Yeah. You know, years ago. Uh, when I was younger, when I had darker hair, <laughs> um, something was said to me, cause, and, I, and I think about this a lot, that people look for happiness, seek happiness. I mean, almost it's like their main thing. I want happiness. I'm seeking happiness. I want to do whatever it is to be happy. And something was said to me that true happiness comes from when you're helping others, serving others, when you put invested in other people comes that happiness, that joy. And I think that's always stuck with me, you know, that people seek for it, but they don't get it until they've actually sat down to serve and help others. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like godliness. Yeah. yeah. We're made in his image and we're following that commandment. Yeah. That's where the joy comes well, from. And back to that, um, the idea of Jesus, when he says, I give you a new commandment in First John three sixteen. Okay, not John, but First John three sixteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, uh, "This is what love is: is that he who lays down his life for his brethren. You know, that's love. Someone who lays mm-hmm. down their life, and I don't mean goes out and dies, but right. but gives of themselves. The very idea of agape, the the meaning of agape, is to give of yourself. It's an action word that says, "I give without expectation of return." Mm-hmm. And we're commanded to do that. It says that we need, it teaches us probably about 130 times in the New Testament, this is what we're supposed to do is live in agape, which which as believers, we need to be giving of ourselves. What is that called? Servanthood. I mean, it just, it all comes together. It all blends together. It's all part of one. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's a beautiful picture of, him loving us and how he went to the cross and, and died. And, um, I mean, I think it's just, it, for some, it comes naturally. And for some of the others, it, it might look a little different, but I think that, like you said, there was that innate, uh, peace in everyone to serve. Um, and so I, I, I'm just grateful that there's an opportunity to do that here. Right. Um, and like I said, our team does great in it. And I think it's just coming from that, that spirit of wanting to be able to, um, and humility serve others and be there for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I I think I'll, I'll I'll never forget one of the very first Christmases that we were celebrating as a staff. Like I think everyone brought a you know a potluck dish and a little gift or something. And our board chair sat at the front desk and answered the phone, and he swept the floor. And you know you're like, oh, here's the board chair. We have to like put on. We don't have to do that. Like it's we're a family. And we're all playing the part that God called us to play. And nobody's better than anybody else, right? And I always think you never know when you're serving angels. You know, I don't know. I just think like, and what a, and what a privilege that God has called us to be a part of his kingdom to serve others. It's not, it's not just a like, oh, I need to serve others because I'm a Christian. It's this thing I'm supposed to do. What a privilege. He's called, we're made in his image. And what a privilege to be a part of his journey. You know, it's interesting. I've worked in uh, churches as, as an associate pastor. You get a whole different view as an associate. I've never been a senior pastor. Never wanted to be a senior <laughs> pastor. I don't. After hearing of all the 
board me- board meetings <laughs> that even argues in the stress of a pastor. Um, I, I think I'm glad to be a, just an associate. However, I've seen a lot of pastors that doing certain things are just below them. Mm-hmm. But the funniest thing is that when I first, when I was a teenager, I was 16, and I thought, well, this guy just witnessed to me, scared me to death. You know, I don't want to burn because there's a little <laughs> booklet here. So you're going to burn if you don't. So I decided, hey, Pastor Echo, I need to talk to you, you know, like today. Well, how about tomorrow? Tomorrow's great. I get off school. You <laughs> yeah. know. I went it's there. an emergency. <laughs> and I spent the whole evening. He invited me for dinner. Mm-hmm. And, then he, and I said, I'm not done. I need to talk to you some more. He says, well, tomorrow I'm the janitor. You can clean toilets with me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> and that was my first introduction to a pastor, you know, before I met a lot of these other ones, but this was really cool. So I met one of the most humble guys I've ever known to this day. He is my mentor. He is my, uh, he helped raise me. I lived with him. It is, it's everything. And to learn what it is to live in holiness, to be somebody, to be a giver is just incredible. And to watch God bless his, bless his life. And through him, all kinds of miracles happen. And I think it all had to do, a lot of it has to do with his submissive will to Jesus. Here, I'm willing to give to you, mm-hmm. and he gives to others. I mean, he's retired, and he's still out there preaching and doing Bible studies and going places, and, and he's busy. And it's just amazing the giving of himself. And, mm-hmm. and it's amazing that. He's got so much joy. It sounded it, when you said that. It sounded to me like he also listens to the Holy Spirit's yeah. guiding in his life, oh, right? Yeah. As opposed to like his own like ego. Yeah, <laughs> no, I thought about obedience immediately when you said some. He was being submissive to what Christ was. Yeah, being submissive to what the Holy Spirit is leading him. And no matter in which area, and I, we often talk about this too in our. Um, realm of like staff is like you can really serve anywhere like it doesn't necessarily need to be overseas or in a uh, you know organization like ours it's like where you're at if you're working for a corporation how are you serving Um, I know um, I'm taking a class on Tuesday evenings and so our facilitator yesterday was telling us about uh, the CEO of Frost Bank and how uh, he's a believer and him just serving as a CEO of a big corporation and bank but yet serving his his employees the way he serves. And so I was just thinking it's really neat to see that leadership aspect of someone serving um, because they're, they're bringing their knowledge and skills to a place where it's needed, but bringing it um, through a spiritual aspect. And it's funny because a lot of these organizations, these um, parachurch organizations, ministry uh, missionary organizations, they're all work on strategy. That's the big thing. We have to have a strategy in order to make things happen. And and I kind of teach against that. It's really kind of weird. No, you need to work with the Holy Spirit. What if he has you doing something different? Mm-hmm. So this pastor, he actually came on. We, we flew him out here from, or, from Oregon. He's on the show we have him twice. He talked about obedience. That's what was his topic. I want to talk about obedience. And it was really cool. But the thing is, when I was living with him and I was almost going to college or so and, and so it was Sunday morning and he says I don't have a sermon I go what he goes yeah I don't know what to preach Lord's not giving me anything to do and he says well, what are you going to do he says I don't know I've never preached a sermon twice but I've grabbed an old one just in case and he goes to church and he didn't want to preach it so it, it came time for him to stand up instead of starting to say anything he just says does anybody have a testimony lady stood up gave a testimony somebody else bunch of crying people went down to the altar we had a whole hour and a half or so of people giving testimony of getting saved the whole nine yards it was just a huge service it was like well holy spirit didn't really want a sermon at this point he yeah. needed the people to really come together and it was really cool so i like the idea mm-hmm. of, of just feeling like we need to follow the leading of the holy spirit mm-hmm. and that has, that's a lot to do with serving others Mm-hmm. Is that you've got to be able to, you know, follow what the Holy Spirit is leading you, where He's leading you. Mm-hmm. So, I want to read one more passage. This is from Paul. This is really cool. We can make a comment on this. In Philippians chapter two, verses five through eleven, he says, "As in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus." 
who, it being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now that, that I have to stop real quick. If, if you have never studied Colossians chapter 1, how he, the son, basically gave up his throne to come to here. It's like, that is servanthood. Mm-hmm. I, mean, right. I mean, he totally came down and gave up a lot. I mean, we don't think about that, but when you read that chapter and really study it, it's like, wow. I mean, he was like omnipresent into a human body no longer. I'm like, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. We go on. Okay. Um, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hmm. To me, it, it says, because of Jesus' submission to this and becoming a servant, he was exalted. And to this, because he did everything this way, he was exalted to the highest you can be. I mean, even in Revelation, when they were going to break the seal, they said, there's nobody here worthy enough Mm -hmm. to break the seals. Oh, no, there's the Lamb of God. There's Jesus, who Mm -hmm. he is worthy. Wow. I mean, talk about in heaven. (laughs) Nobody else is worthy enough. But Jesus became worthy through all that he lived and did and gave up. Mm-hmm. As a servant, what do you think? It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I, I mean, you know, I think that that's sort of the story his whole life, right? Like he was born to an unwed teenage mom in a barn. I mean, we always see oh the nativity scene, but like, you think about that. Like I've, I can't imagine having my child in a barn. Like all the things you're, the the, the terror, how terrified Mary must have been. Um, just like the whole story of Christ along the way, the woman at the well, like his whole life. He obviously, God obviously understands the human condition and the, the sin of our hearts. Like we all want to be elevated and we want the riches of the world and we want power. Like he, it was, it started with, it started there and then it went all the way through his life. Like he always humbled himself every time, but he didn't just, but he did it and, as a teaching to us. And I just think that's such a good model for our lives and for any situation, right? Like any situation we face in life, we can use that model. Yeah. I think what God did through Jesus was amazing because before Jesus, all we had were, you know, the words of God through men and women who were, who failed, who made all these mistakes. I mean, Abraham was a liar, <laughs> you know, Moses lost his temper. We can go on and on yeah, and yeah, on, yeah. you know, and Jesus is our perfect example, mm-hmm. perfect example. He, he is it. Um, there was, somebody was asking me this the other day about uh, religion. What is it? What is the best religion? I said, well, Christianity really isn't a religion. It's a relationship. Mm-hmm. And we learn this and this and that by the example Jesus gave us. He is our example. We follow him because he is our perfect example. Mm -hmm. And really, in the idea that that he is a servant, he came down to be a servant. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really cool. And just to teach us, like I I was reading um, Genesis the other day, and even from the creation, I mean, he chose us. And when he created us, he said, they are very good, right? This is very good. And just to love us, I mean, he had just created the heavens and the earth and nature and all these animals, but he looks at us and he says, very good, like I did very good, right? And then just to like, you see throughout the Bible and and yes, going through the history of the Israelites and different leaders, and he still continued to choose us and choose us and then sent his son. Like that is just a beautiful, like 
He -hmm. continues to choose us each and every day, like day in and day out. Um, I'm just like, wow, like that's, that's love there. And that's, and you know. And he's never given up on us. We've Mm -hmm. given up on him, but he's never given up on Mm -hmm. us. And the whole idea of Jesus proves it all. Yeah. Well, that's our program for today. I really appreciate everyone who's watched us. If you haven't uh, subscribed to our channel, please do. If you like, if you want to ask any questions or make any comments, you can do that. If you need to do it privately, I do have an email off our website. You can write me, and I'll be glad to write you back. So, everyone, you have a wonderful day. You have a wonderful week, and aloha. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.